This message by Aram Laguna, entitled Discipline for the Sake of the Gospel, was recorded at Wellspring Church on February 9th, 2020. The text for this message is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 9:23 through 27. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I'd like to welcome to the pulpit Aram Laguna. Aram is the assistant pastor at Sunset Church in San Francisco, where one of his primary roles is pastoring uh, the small group ministry. And so I just want to thank your room for filling in the pulpit for Sam as he's away. And so would you please welcome a room as he brings us God's word. Good morning, everyone. It's a real privilege to be with you today and share God's word. I feel honored that uh, Pastor Sam gave the invitation to uh, be able to worship with you all. Uh, it's, it's really been great. It's been a real blessing for our church. We had, uh, Pastor Sam come out to uh, speak at a young families retreat. Uh, and I think, uh, our lead pastor, Pastor Joey, was, was able to connect with Pastor Sam. And it was a really great time with him. We were really, really able to build a, a, a brotherhood and friendship with him. And it's really great being able to just build other, uh, build relationships with other pastors in the Bay Area. Just to give you guys a quick intro uh, about myself, our family, we moved out here from Chicago about six years ago and have been serving at Sunset Church, which is in the Sunset District of San Francisco, the east side of the city. And um, I have two boys and a daughter, a 10-year-old, a 5-year-old, and a 3-year-old. So we're in the thick of it. And I think a lot of you, I'm sure, know that stage of life and I'm very blessed to be, uh, to have my wife, Sarah, who I think she's bringing our kids to the, their program, but so glad that she's alongside me in this journey. Um, we're so glad that the Lord has led us here to the Bay Area. And it's, again, it's really great, um, finding pastors like Pastor Sam that are very like-minded in having centrality and leading their church with centrality around the gospel. And so it's been a real blessing and I'm so glad to be here to serve God's word uh, to you and to be able to worship with you all. But before we dive into God's word, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer as we depend on him in this time together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, uh, even as we sang this morning, that you are our creator. It's our breath. It's your breath in our lungs. And we want to pour out our praise. We want to give our lives to you because you're worthy. Yet, yeah, Father, we, we know so often that our wrestle with sin, 
um, often helps, uh, often causes us to fall so short. But we thank you for the complete work of Christ and the work he is doing and continuing to do in us. And we, we pray, Father, that even our time together in your word would be, would be a time where you speak to us, to every single person in this room, that your word would shape and, and challenge and bring conviction to our lives because we want to live for you. We want every breath to be for your glory and your glory alone. So we depend on you for that work. I, I humbly come before you praying that you would use these feeble words that I have here, but that your word would ultimately go forth to strengthen your body. We just thank you. We depend on you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, as I get older, one of the things that is hardest to do for me personally is getting back in shape. Um, in high school, I was a three-sport athlete. I played soccer, basketball, and volleyball. Uh, and um, back then, getting in shape was fun. I, I remember clearly, especially during volleyball season, getting out, getting ready for spring, um, sprints, doing jumping drills, weight vest training, um, all these different jump exercises. I loved that training because I needed to hang. I wanted to not just hang with these guys that were 6'3". I'm 5'9". So I had to be able to hang with them. So um, I didn't want to just hang with them. I wanted to beat them. You know, I wanted to get out there. So I trained and trained. Um, my peak uh, running vertical was I was at 38 inches. It's the glory days. The glory days, I tell you. But these days, oh my goodness, it's so hard for me just to get out of the house and get going since having, you know, having kids, especially these last uh, six years with our two youngest. I feel like I have no energy to get back in shape. Even this past week, uh, my wife tried to get me going. She's just, you know, we put our kids down. She's like, hey, let's, let's do a workout video. And I just, I just pretended I didn't hear anything. <laughs> I just sat on the couch. Then you know, I just, I just like, what did you say? You know, it's just so hard. It's hard to get going, but we know that that's what we need to do. But doing what it takes to get in shape, right? The, the dieting, the eating healthy, the exercise, man, it's so hard. My body already is so conditioned, or actually unconditioned, right? Uh, at this point, where even to get started, uh, it's so difficult, even though that we need to. And I'm sure many of you can relate to that struggle. It's real. It's real. And, you know, it's not too hard, even hearing a story like this, to see the spiritual parallels, right, when it comes to getting in shape physically and getting in shape spiritually. And that's why the Bible uses often uses athletic references, because it's something that we can all relate to and understand. And here in our text, that's what Paul is, how he's trying, what he's using here to get his point across at the end of chapter nine. And I think this is maybe a familiar text for many of you. And if that's the case, hopefully, um, it will take on a new meaning in this particular season of your life. In this letter to the Corinthians, Paul wants to build up the body of believers there. And in one sense, he wants to affirm the, the work that God is doing, the spirit that is alive in them. But if you actually have read this letter, you'll see that that affirmation is really only the first nine verses of chapter one. And it's a 15 chapter letter, right? 
it's it, the majority of this letter, Paul is showing the mirror to this body of believers there. And basically saying as much as they're a people that God has saved, that they're saved in Christ, they aren't living as though they've been saved. There's division, there's sexual immorality, they're suing one another, even one another in the body of Christ in their, in their own church. And Paul is addressing these things both theologically and practically. But really underlying all these issues that are going on is the fact that though the gospel has saved them, it hasn't really changed them. And they're continuing to make decisions, to, to value things that in, in many ways are no different than the unbelieving world around them. And the bigger problem at hand is that when non-believers look at these Christians, they see no need for the gospel in their lives because these Christians are living the same way they do, if not, as you see, if you've read the letter, worse than them. So why would they need this gospel if these Christians aren't living any, showing any value of what it is doing in them because it's not really changing them? But for Paul, believing in the gospel meant that decisions, that what he wants value, even his own rights must be surrendered to the Lord. And in chapter 9, verse 23, he summarizes this and says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. He didn't want his decisions, his lifestyle, to be an obstacle for people to see Jesus through his life. But to get to that point was not easy. It was not easy for Paul. He needed to get in shape, so to speak, to be able to live like that. And that really gets to how, how we want this text to challenge us today, is in that we must go to lengths to discipline our lives for the sake of the gospel and God's mission. For Paul, this was no easy feat. When we believe in the gospel, to, our, to arrange our lives for God's purposes doesn't happen passively. Yet I would argue that so many of us as Christians has, have such a cavalier attitude when it comes to rearranging our priorities for the sake of the gospel. And Paul challenges that notion as he looks at the discipline of athletes. That when it comes to surrendering our rights for the sake of the gospel, there's a discipline that's needed to align God's call in our lives. And today we'll look at three things involved in the discipline of athletes that Paul draws from that, are, that is meant to challenge us to live for the sake of the gospel. Three things. We'll look at the prize, the discipline, and a warning. The prize, the discipline, and a warning. First, the prize, our motivation to live for the sake of the gospel. First, uh, read with me here in 1 Corinthians 9.24. It says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run? but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Paul here draws from the life of a runner, and the Corinthians would be very familiar with this uh, illustration. In the Roman Empire, there were both international and local games. And in Corinth, they actually held local games every two years called the 
Isthmian, uh, I can't even say this right, Is, Isthmian Games, Isthmian Games. They were held every two years. And everyone back then would have known that the goal of any runner that enters into a race was to win first place because only one person wins the prize. Back then, there wasn't first, second, and third place. There was no gold, silver, or bronze. There was just one person who won. There was only one person who gets the prize. And back then, the winner, they would receive this, this crown, uh, this wreath that was made out of pine or celery. I think there's a picture of back then. Maybe you saw the 2004 Summer Olympics held in Athens where they brought back this sentiment, crowning their winners with laurel leaves. And this is what motivated runners, or any athlete for that matter, that when they're competing in their sport, the glory of winning first place that motivated them. That motivated. And then I believe every athlete at some level, that glory and joy that comes from winning a championship is far better than any other pleasure or joy that they can indulge in. These days, it's a trophy. The Warriors winning those, this glorious or this past glorious decade, right? or a medal in the Olympics, to be able to hoist up a trophy or, a, or put on that gold medal and win it all is what motivates any athlete in competitive sports. Being from Chicago, I had to put a picture of MJ up there. Got to do it. Got to give my respect. Uh, it brings joy, deep emotion, even tears that really can't be produced in any other arena of life. This prize motivates the athletes. And Paul here, he's pressing into that metaphor to help us understand a believer's motivation. Verse 29 and, or 25 and the second half of the verse, it says, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Paul is saying that these runners are motivated by wearing these crowns of pine that will eventually wither away. They'll fade away. They'll perish. They do it for this moment of glory and joy, this moment of deep emotion that leads them to tears. But even that moment will fade away. It will wither away. And so Paul says, as believers... Our motivation to live the way that we live, to not be an obstacle for others to see Jesus, is a prize that is imperishable. It's imperishable. So run in a way to win this prize. Live in such a way as if this prize will be worth every effort that we give. And the prize here that Paul is talking about is heaven. It's eternity with Jesus. He uses the same word in Philippians 3.14 where he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This life everlasting with the God who created us, with our Messiah who saved us from eternal damnation. And Paul is saying this prize of heaven, this ought to motivate believers to run to live in a way where our lives and our words are intentional and ultimately point others to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ that is at work in our lives. Paul believes that there's 
nothing on this earth that will be better than that prize. It is imperishable. And so he aligns his life in such a way to win that prize because it'll be worth it. When God gets all the glory and we get to share in that glory, it'll be worth it. Let me ask you all this. Is this your motivation for living? Does the prize of heaven, the prize of eternity and the glory that God will get from how we live and the joy that we will share with him in glory, does that motivate you to live today for the sake of the gospel and all that you do? And if not, what motivates you? I think if we're honest with ourselves, um, many of us will be motivated by a few things. I think some of us here are motivated by having security, making sure that we, that we're going to be okay, that our family is going to be okay. And so we are motivated to work hard. We're motivated to live in a certain way because security matters so deeply to us. We're motivated by that. I think some of us are motivated by having power, if we're honest with ourselves. We're motivated to climb to so that we can be able to influence the different uh, and or shape the different spheres, the div- different circles that we're in, and hoping to do that and beyond. And we are motivated in, in how we live because of that. I think some of us here, we might be motivated just by the image that we uh, that we give off, maintaining a certain image of how people perceive us, our career, maybe even think about it. We keep, some of us, we keep striving and striving to achieve and get to that next promotion, that next level. And for some of us, we do it so that we can look, uh, we, it's because of how we will look in front of others. They will see us as a success story. And so we're motivated by that desire. Or even just, you know, I would say, I won't say superficial, but some of us are honestly motivated just by our look. We gotta make sure that our Instagram and Insta, Insta stories are on point. I don't know if you have friends like that, but they do that constantly. Maybe you do that. You know, everyone, you know, there's that saying, you do you. <laughs> but at the same time, why? Why do we do that? I think so often many of us are driven by and motivated by other people's perception of us. So we do these things. And in all honesty, all these things, if we're honest with ourselves, come pretty naturally, right? It actually is not natural to be motivated by heaven. It is not our default disposition, even after you've been saved. But Paul is saying that the prize of eternity with God needs to motivate us. It needs to motivate us. And the only way to be motivated by this prize is to value this prize more and more. It's to set your gaze on the beauty and greatness of God. To value the prize of eternity with God is to know God more deeply so that we will anticipate spending time with Him throughout all eternity where our hearts will finally be full, not found lacking, because He will be there. But to grow that value of eternity with God, 
is to spend time with him. And it's to pray. It's to read his word. It's to know his character. And to, to, in such a way where, where when we know his love, it's actually personal to us. It's not knowledge that we just attain. But he, we value him. And I think that's something so difficult in our, in our day to spend time because we in the West are so fast paced. Everything is go, go, go. Family, kids outings, you know, business, go, go, go. That spending time with God is an afterthought. When I have time. It's hard. It's not natural. But the reality is that when we give our time to something, anything, you start to value it and treasure it. Isn't that why we treasure the things that we do? Because we've given so much of our time to it, our lives to it. Some of us need to take measures to treasure Jesus so that he truly becomes our prize and we will be motivated to run and to live for him. That's the first thing involved here that Paul is challenging us with. He continues to draw from this athletic metaphor. Not only do we need to be motivated by the prize, but secondly, we need to have the discipline. To have the discipline. The discipline to train ourselves for the, to live for the sake of the gospel. Verse 25, Paul says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Many of us that are into sports understand this. Being from Chicago, um, it's a sports city. So playing sports, watching sports, it's just, for any, any real Chicagoan, um, it's in your blood. You can't help it. Just grew up with that intensity. And, um, you just understand that if you value the prize, if you value winning, then you will take all measures so that you are fit enough to win that prize. This season, LeBron James entered his 17th year in the NBA. He just turned 35 in December, and I read an article in Forbes magazine that said how LeBron spends $1.5 million in the offseason to train his body alone. $1.5 million. His diet, the equipment that's needed to treat his body. He is a very extremely disciplined athlete to keep his body in peak condition because another championship to add to his legacy is worth every penny to him. So he invests it. He invests in this discipline. And as a competitor in sports, when you want to win, you have to have that discipline to train yourself so that your body will be in its best physical condition and you will have perfected your skill set. You discipline yourself so that you don't have bad habits anymore. You work through them. You, uh, you work through them long enough so to get rid of these bad habits through these countless drills and practices. Maybe you've been an athlete in your past. You know drill after drill after drill. You just gotta keep going until you're just, till it's second nature. The discipline that's involved so that you can be your best to win. And that's why Paul is saying, even in verse 26, he says, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. He's saying there's purpose in the training. There's always purpose. Does anyone here box or enjoy watching it? Anyone? No? Some? I grew up watching Mike Tyson with my dad. 
Uh, also a big Manny Pacquiao fan. He's still winning fights at the age of 40. It's a legend. Uh, one of the greatest boxers in history. But could you imagine Manny Pacquiao in a fight, or any boxer, getting into the ring, right when that bell, that bell rings, just start randomly punching in every direction, hoping his opponent just walks into a punch. I mean, it's just, that just sounds ridiculous. That sounds idiotic. Like, that's not how you win a fight. When boxers train, they have, there's technique, there's precision, there's strategy, strategy, there's, you know, working with your feet, knowing every single punch, how to block all the different punches that are involved from straight rights, to your hooks, to your uppercuts and jabs, all these different punches that are involved so that they can defeat their opponent. It takes such precision and purpose in their training. They're not just going to randomly punch the air and hope that they win. They train in such a way that everything, every movement that they do, there's a goal and purpose. And Paul said, is saying here, that's the discipline that we need to train ourselves for the sake of the gospel. Paul, if you read chapter 9, he talks about how he's surrendered his rights, that he wants to live in a way that where he's not an obstacle for people to see Jesus through him. And for him to get to that place was not easy at all for him. To surrender his rights took discipline. Verse 27, he says, But I discipline my body, and keep it under uh, uh, keep it under control. Another translation says, "I beat my body, strike a blow to my body, and make it my slave." Discipline takes significant effort in order to live in such a way for the sake of the gospel. Athletes fight and battle their bodies all the time. They they train themselves not to eat certain foods, even though they have the right to eat certain foods. They exercise early in the morning, even though their body tells them to sleep, even though they have the right to sleep more if they wanted to. But they don't because they know they need to train to be in shape so that they can win. Paul was saying that when it comes to our Christian lives, it is a battle to surrender your rights for the gospel. It's to train yourself to not indulge in things that will just simply satisfy every craving and longing that your heart has. You have to enslave yourself to this task. And there's a cost and pain to retrain your heart so that you would prize eternity with God because otherwise, if you don't, you're just going to keep doing what is natural to you. Satisfy your heart's craving. Now, what does this look like exactly for us? What rights do we have that when, when others see us, uh, it can be an obstacle for the gospel? Think about that. What is it in your life that you have a right to do, but if you were to indulge in it, would really be an obstacle for others to see the work of Christ in you. I think how we spend our money, how we use money, can be an obstacle for unbelievers to see Jesus in us. I was, um, you know, 
San Francisco is a big coffee shop city. I was at a coffee shop, you know, on a Sunday and um, just waiting in line. And then one of the baristas saw a fancy car pull up in front of the church, let their people go. And this is what he said. He's not a believer. It's like, wow, I guess you can own fancy cars and love Jesus too, huh? Um, it was just like, I don't even know what to say. You know, he just kind of, you know, and he's an unbeliever. But what's implied there? What is he, what is he saying as an unbeliever? Even he, as an unbeliever, who may be understanding Christianity at some level, understands that following, following Jesus means to not indulge in whatever we want. Sure, we have the right to buy whatever we, we want. We've earned that money. But is it an obstacle? Is it an obstacle? for others to see Jesus through that action. It takes discipline to not buy all that we desire, all that we want, even if we have the right to. But for the sake of the gospel, we say, I choose I choose not to because I don't want to be that obstacle for others to see Jesus. I think another right that we have when we living in this country is a right to free speech. Um, we're in an era where we can share our voice to the world through social media. And we're just in that era. And, but in many ways, not everything needs to be voiced, right? Not everything needs to be voiced, though we have the right to. But some of us on social media, some of us feel that we need to say something. And it ends up being argumentative or even rude. I've seen this so often in different friends, you know, posts on Facebook or on Twitter, or they'll say, someone will say something, and they'll be, be very argumentative, right? Back and forth, back and forth. What about this? Da-da-da-da-da. And then there'll be a net random comment, and I've seen this, is like, hey, aren't you guys Christians? You know? It just doesn't make sense. Like, why would you treat one another with such disrespect, uh, but you say you follow Jesus? We have a right to say we're in a country where we have freedom of, of speech, but is it then become an obstacle for others to see Christ through you? When eternity is our prize, and when we value sharing in God's glory, that in the life that we live now and the choices that we make, everything that would be to him to edify the body and to, to, to not be an obstacle for God's glory, it ought to motivate us in such a way where we would be disciplined, whether it be through our money, whether it be through our words, to bless others through our words and actions. Where do you need discipline? In what area of your life do your actions and words weaken your gospel witness to others? Where do you think that is? Is it with money? Is it do you spend it only on yourself? Do you indulge in every different pleasure or entertainment or trips where even non-believers around you kind of raise their eyebrows? Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's the words that you use. You have the freedom to, you know, we have the freedom to say anything we want. Or it's the way you treat people. I was just thinking, like, it doesn't have to be social media. You can just... You know, you can, it happens at restaurants. Have you ever had a, a waiter that gives bad service? And sometimes we just, we gotta say something, right? 
Some of us, it's just have a hard time biting their tongue because it's like, this is bad service. I can't believe this service. And so you have to let the waiter or the manager know just how bad their service is. And we don't take the high road, right, of just biting your tongue and trying to say something encouraged, trying to see things from their perspective. Maybe they had a hard day, right? And taking the high road and say something encouraging to them. But maybe it is with our words in these other arenas. What is it for you? And in many ways, you know, we don't have that LeBron James money to help us with our discipline. We don't have that $1.5 million to invest in our, our discipline. But I would argue that we have something better. The Holy Spirit. God gave us himself. His Holy Spirit who is able to empower us and work in us to help discipline and train our lives for the sake of the gospel. For Paul, this type of discipline was absolutely necessary when it comes to living for the sake of the gospel. And we need to wrestle with all the different areas of our lives where God is not being glorified. I mean, if you pause and maybe you can't, you're trying to think of what are the areas uh, that, you know, that people might be stumbled through. I'd encourage you to humbly ask a close friend or your spouse. Boy, maybe... Uh, Maybe not your spouse. <laughs> I'm kidding. You should. You should ask your spouse during a peacetime, during a peacetime. And when your heart is ready, be teachable. Just don't be, don't come like, what do you think my problem is? You know, like ready to like fight back. No, be teachable. Be humble and ask people that know you. Is there something that I'm, is there something I'm doing that stumbles you or you feel like it stumbles other people? It's an obstacle. It's hard for them to see Christ because of, what I'm doing. I think that'd be a good place to start if you can't really see in your life what exactly is an obstacle. And when that's exposed, it'll feel painful. You'll want to defend yourself, but it's an, it's necessary so that we can begin to discipline areas of our lives for the sake of the gospel. Look at the prize, <clears throat> the discipline, the lasting involved. <clears throat> that Paul challenges us with, and this will be brief, is actually a warning. It's a warning. A warning that we can be disqualified from receiving the prize. Look with me here at verse 27. <clears throat> but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is saying that, like any athlete that's entering a race, Lining up doesn't guarantee that you'll win the prize. If you don't abide by the rules, you can't win with a false start. You will be disqualified in a race. You must abide to the rules. And the word disqualified that Paul uses here, it actually can be translated as proven false. It says, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be proven false to be shown as a counterfeit. In other words, He's not talking about losing salvation, but he's challenging that if you show no discipline for the sake of the gospel and God's mission in your life, and you continue to indulge and live for the longings of your heart, what you thought was salvation in your life has been proven false. That's very strong. Just because you entered the race doesn't mean that you're going to win 
and get the prize. Prizes must be worked for. And the way is hard and humbling. Thank you, honey. It's not easy. It must be worked for. It's hard. It's, it's humbling, but it's needed. And Paul here is giving a warning that in, in our failure to have discipline for the sake of the gospel, it can disqualify you from the prize and prove our salvation to be false. Now please what, hear what I'm saying. He's not talking about earning salvation here, okay? Salvation is given by grace. It's never earned. But what Paul is saying is that if you are truly saved, your life will be the evidence of that salvation. You see, do you hear that? It's not about earning. But if you're truly saved, your life will be the evidence. The training will show the evidence that salvation is alive and at work in you. You will train your heart. You will align your life to God's mission. You'll surrender your rights for the sake of the gospel. You'll choose not a promotion and more money that will end up taking time away from your family that God has called you to raise. You will deny that right because you value what God has called you to do. That's a hard, that's a hard thing to deny. My wife and I wrestle with that all the time with her, with her work situation. Will it take away more? Ah, and, and then coming to that place is like, more money, you know, San Francisco, out here, you guys, you guys know it's not easy to live out here. But will it take away time from our family because of the more demand? And these are the things we wrestle with. And so, on several occasions, we've had to deny those opportunities because it didn't make sense for our family. God's called us to be faithful to our three young kids in this season. So, we deny that right. We live differently. Maybe it's to not say anything. Even though you feel like it, you feel like it's building up inside you, you want to say, but you realize that it won't really edify or build up others. And if you're truly saved, it's not a matter of getting your point across. It's to surrender that right. Will it really help? Or is it just an ego? Is it just for my pride to get it across? We surrender that right. And that choose the high road. And build up, use words that build up, not condemn, throw someone under the bus. Because the warning is that if you don't have that discipline for the sake of the gospel, you'll be, you may be disqualifying yourself, proving your salvation to be false. And I think that should lead all of us to pause and assess our lives. How have I been living as a Christian? Is it any different? than my unbelieving friends. Is it really any different? I think that's worth assessing. Is the evidence of how I'm living today, not when you first got saved, but today, in this season of your life, is it proving your salvation to be authentic? Because you're following, you're, you're, you know at times God is calling you to do something and you obey because you want Him to get the glory. You don't want to be an obstacle. Or is it showing signs? That it is false because you show no discipline. You just keep continuing to go after your appetite. Oh, I got it. Ah, oh, that feels good. No. This is Paul's warning to all of those who call themselves Christians. But like all warnings, they're just meant to confront us 
so that we can make a decision in moving forward. And thankfully, if you find yourself trending down as you evaluate your life, it is not over by any means. When we put our faith in the gospel, God gave us his Holy Spirit to bear fruit in our love, in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And what else? Self-control. Self-control. He has given us a spirit of self-control so that no matter what season you're, you're in, no matter how out of shape you might be spiritually, the Holy Spirit, if you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is alive in you. He has been given to us. He is alive in us. And that means that we have self-control to, to discipline, to train ourselves in our lives for the sake of the gospel. It's in us. We can choose to do that because we are in Christ and he's given us his Holy Spirit. It is very possible, even if you feel like I'm so spiritually out of shape, just doing whatever, it's possible to get out of that and be able to live for the sake of the gospel in all things. Trending last year <clears throat> was this man named Joe Stockinger who uh, deadlifted 405 pounds twice at the age of 89 years old. That's crazy. 89 years old. I mean, that's crazy. Getting in that shape at the age of 89 years old. I saw that and I realized, you know, spiritually, it's never too late. It's never too late to get in shape. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we can get in shape spiritually for the sake of the gospel. And it will be hard. It will it will, there will be cost and there will be pain to expose our faults, to admit where we're falling short in the way that we're living for God. But in His grace, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can train ourselves so that we might be a better witness for Christ. We'll need to deny ourselves. We'll need to expose these bad habits we've developed in our witness, to gauge our tongue, discipline how we treat money, to get a handle of our, our security or our desire for power or affirmation from others actually governs our actions. We've got to get our head around and understand that. But as we discipline ourselves, spiritual muscles will grow. Will grow. It will grow. This is possible because the Holy Spirit is in us, so it's never too late. It's never too late, brothers and sisters. And the prize of sharing in eternal glory with our Savior will be worth all the effort that we put into doing this. So let's ask today for his grace. Let's ask him, asking for his grace, to do what it takes to value him for eternity as our prize and to battle ourselves, to have discipline in all that we do for the sake of the gospel and his mission. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word speaks to us and you are a living God who is at work today in our lives. Thank you for all the seasons that you, that we go through, whether it's spring or summers or winters. All of it, Lord, is 
are reasons that you draw us to your, uh, yourself. And Father, if some of my brothers and sisters here, we're honest with ourselves. Maybe we're not doing so great spiritually. Maybe we are in our decisions, how we act, or an obstacle for others to see the, go- the gospel through our lives. We have yet to surrender our rights, to discipline ourselves for your glory. And God, we don't want this to be a legalistic thing. We want our lives to be authentic, our salvation to be authentic, so that we truly treasure you and live for you because eternity is our reality. Lord, help us. Give us grace. Help us to believe in the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us, that you would help us to take our next step toward growing these spiritual muscles, having the discipline. Because we don't want to be an obstacle for others to see Jesus. We want to be the means that people see Christ through our lives and through our words. Father, I pray for all my brothers and sisters here at Wellspring, that you would grant us grace, grant us a trust in your gospel and all the gifts and benefits that we have through your spirit, that we might take these steps for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.